Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us in that. Uh, We're in week three of a series that we're titling Restored, where we're looking at the Gospel of John. We've been walking through it together as a church, but this series, this little mini-series, if you will, is just looking at the final two chapters of John 20 and 21. There's these four segments in it that uh, cover when Jesus comes back to his disciples and restores them for life and for ministry. Um, And we are in Welcome um, Family Sunday, and we do this a couple of times a year. We call it Family Sunday because we don't provide uh, kids ministry. So I want to address some of those things. The, the elephant in the room that there are little kids. They're usually not in here for this long, but we do this for a couple of reasons. We, we do Family Sundays to, um, one reason is to give our kids volunteers a break. And we have uh, four of those a year because there's uh, four fifth Sundays a year. So they just do it on the fifth Sunday of the month, and April has five Sundays, so that's one of them. Uh, but the second is, is so that our, our family as Journey Church and also your family units can worship together, to hear God's Word taught, to sing um, songs, and, and do all those things above. And so we do that so that we can all be together. Uh, but one thing before we jump into God's Word, parents, we recognize that kids are in the room. They may get a little rowdy. Heck, my son may shout at me. I don't know, and I'll, I'll call back at him, all right? It's okay, all right? If your kids get a little too rowdy for you, just know it's just for you that we love them being in the room. Uh, but if you do uh, want to uh, feel like you need to step out or whatever the case would be, our student room is set up uh, with tables and the services being streamed in there if, if you need to use it. But don't feel like that's a backhanded way to say if your kid's crying to get out of here. That's not. I'm just saying it's there if you want to. Stay. Be put. It won't bother me at all. My house house is constantly has tears in. I have three under the age of three. It's okay. All right. So the second is kids, kids, kids. If you are a kid, if that applies to you, can you look at me for just a second? You're in the room because you're a valued family member and we want you in this place. And the fact that you're in the room today, your role in the room is not just to be quiet so your parents can focus. You're in the room because you're a valued family member. And what I'm saying applies to you too. So hold on, 25 minutes is going to go fast. Are you ready? Here we go. So our mission as a church, as a church family, to be a family or a group of people is to share in an identity, it's to share in a purpose, and it's to share in a mission. If you're a family, I hope you see your family like that individually, that you see your family as a shared identity, purpose, and mission. What it means to have a shared identity is that you all, uh, of who you are, who we are together as Journey Church or as The Church, capital C Church. We have a shared identity. It's who we are. We also have a shared purpose. It's, it's why we exist, right? It's, it's why we exist, but we also have a shared mission. It's why we do what we do, where we're supposed to be going. And as a church, and even as a family, we need to be regularly reminded of that. We need to be regularly reminded about our identity, our purpose, and our mission. You as an individual, your family unit, all the above. You need to be reminded of that. But what helps us be reminded, if you will? Like, what helps us remember things best? Well, I believe that there's many things that jog our memory, if you will, If you hear a good song on the radio, it probably jogs your memory of like, I remember the first time I heard that. Or if you read a good book, it probably jogs your memory like, I remember the first time I read this. But what jogs our memory best, I believe, is locations. Like, there are probably spots on this planet that if we went there together, they would mean nothing to me, 
but they would mean everything to you. And you could start telling me all these stories about a vacation that you took here as a family or whatever the case would be. Or there's probably locations like if you played sports in high school, a gym or a soccer field or a football field that if we went there together, I could care less that we were there. But you have so many memories connected to this location that you could start telling me about that state playoff, how you almost made that touchdown pass or whatever the case would be, but you didn't. So, but, or other spots like your just favorite location. Like you're just, this is just my favorite place because uh, this is where I have time with God every morning. This is my chair. Like this, there's places that do something to us that help us remember unlike other things can. And and why do I say that? Because what we're going to see in this text in John chapter 21 is Jesus actually uses this memory tool that he sends his disciples to a spot to remind them of their identity, their purpose, and their mission. Let's look at it together. John chapter 21, first few verses there. After this, this being just what has happened, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Then they caught, they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. In these first three verses, you see the setup of this context. You see in verse 1 that Jesus is at a spot that he reveals himself to his disciples. And this is going to be the third time he's done this. And he sends them to a location. The location, it tells us in verse 1, is the Sea of Tiberias. Or this is in the region of Galilee. And this location matters. It matters a lot because if you think about the Sea of Galilee and what has happened in the three years of them following Jesus, Jesus has done some pretty amazing things on this sea. In fact, for Peter and many others, he called them to be his followers, location, this sea. Jesus walked on water, location, this sea. Jesus fed 5,000 families of, of men and their families, location, right on the banks of this sea. Jesus cast out demons, uh, location, right off the banks of this sea. Jesus sent Peter to fish and get a fish and get a coin out of the fish's mouth to pay taxes, location, this sea. This sea matters very importantly. And don't think that the Lord is doing something by sending them to this location haphazardly. Or they just stumbled upon there and Jesus is like, you know what, I'll show up again. No, in fact, he's very intentional at doing this. And what we know is that seven of the disciples were present. And when Peter, in verse 3, we identify Peter as the ringleader of the disciples, if you will, because of a few reasons. In verse 3, that we see that he's most likely the oldest. He's listed first. And Peter's double name is listed. So Simon, Peter, both of his names are listed, which scholars would pick up on that and say he's probably the leader of the disciples. And fourth reason, when he decides to go fishing, everybody else follows. This may feel like a small rabbit trail on this, but um, some scholars look at this text when Peter says, I'm going fishing and claim that this is Peter leaving the faith, if you will, or, or saying, I'm no longer following Jesus. I'm going back to my old ways, my old profession. But I don't, I don't see that here for a few reasons. Num- number one, that there's nothing in the scripture here that suggests that him going fishing is him saying, bounce into Jesus. There's nothing there that says that. 
And the second one is that Jesus specifically told his disciples to head to Galilee. And um, look at this in Mark 14, 28. Before Jesus even dies, he gives this word to his disciples. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Galilee is the region. Tiberias is a city. And so we see that that's a, just a more specific location, the Sea of Tiberias. And that's where they are. Even more pointedly, that if this text doesn't convince you, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is resurrected that Easter morning, he looks at Mary, who is present, and says this, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. It's very specifically. And there they will see me. He says, hey, go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. And so while they're there, most likely Peter saw some fishing gear. He's waiting around on Jesus. And he's like, hey, let's just go fishing. Like, what would you do? Right? If you're a guy that you, you know, you need to process some things. Because let's be real. Like, some big things have happened in the disciples' lives. Like, they thought he was dead. Now he's not. He showed up. They're terrified. He sent them away. Like, all these things has happened. So he just... He just went fishing. He saw some fishing gear. He's like, hey, the boy's got to eat. Let's go catch some fish. Obviously, he wasn't too great at what he did because they went fishing at the best possible time and caught nothing. Sounds like when I try to go fishing. Um, but that's what happened. So they go at night. Verse 3 tells us that they caught nothing. And then verses 4 through 14 kind of happen like this. As the sun is rising up, they see a figure in the distance. It's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus yet just because he was far off. And then he kind of shouts out to the boat, Hey boys, you caught anything? And they're like, nope. He said, why don't you try casting your net to the other side of the boat? So they pull the net in, they throw it over the other side, and it says that the hog that they brought in was so large they couldn't even get it into the boat. But the net doesn't break. And at that moment, John, the disciple who Jesus loves, shouts to Peter and says, Hey, that is the Lord. Peter grabs up his clothes, puts them back on because they were off from working, dives into the water and swims the last hundred yards to the shore bank. That's what happens in this moment. And he, so Peter leaves when the work gets started because they actually started catching fish and he jumps into the water. And then they finally get there and when they show up to the shore bank, they find Jesus sitting around a campfire with some bread and some fish. If that doesn't jog your memory, if you've you know, slacked on your Bible reading a little bit, that Jesus, bread and fish, was the meal that he fed the 5,000 with. The last time they've probably seen Jesus around a dinner table, that's what they were eating. So he shows up on the bank, but verse 9 tells it like this. It says, when they got out, of the la out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and bread. John, in many ways, in this scene, is trying to get us as the readers to be with them where they're at. To feel what they're feeling. And it's hard to do that with words. So he's trying to use every literary device he can pull out. And he's given us this, this cue, if you will, by telling us very specifically, it wasn't around just any kind of fire. He was around a charcoal fire. Why is this valid? Why is this important? Well, this phrasing is only used twice in the Bible and both times are by John. Let's look at the other time that this phrasing, charcoal fire, was used. John 18, 18. It says this. It says, Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. You see, this charcoal fire would be the time where Peter denied Christ three times before he would die. 
And if you've ever been around a charcoal fire or cooked with charcoal barbecued, it has a very distinct smell. And, and Peter, standing around a charcoal fire in John 18, 18, he betrays Jesus, abandons Jesus, the same Jesus the same night before. He says, if all of these jokers deny you, I never will. And then, fast forward a few days, maybe a few weeks later, and we're in John chapter 21, verse 9. John chapter 21, verse 9, they get out, there is a charcoal fire in place. And what Jesus, in this moment, in every way possible with the location, the smell, everything, even intentionality with the fire, is trying to take Peter to a moment where around the smell in the air, the warmth of the fire on his skin... I believe what Peter is trying, needing to receive from Christ is that a single moment from his past would not define the rest of his life. That a single moment from his past would not and could not define him for the rest of his life. But what Peter doesn't get is instant relief. Because look at verse 15 together. It says, when they had finished breakfast. So Peter, the disciples, Jesus, they enjoy an entire breakfast together. And have you ever been in a moment where you've struggled to express your emotions? Of like what memories were in your mind and you're, you're struggling to get those out? Well, I know I have. And a few years ago, when my wife and I, we were still living in New York. We uh, only had one child at that time. And um, Wells, it was during his nap time. And so I laid him down for a nap. And then she was going to go to the grocery store and get some things. And she was out. She went to Walmart. They have Walmarts in New York, if you didn't know that. And so, um, <laughs> and uh, she stopped by one of our favorite bakeries on the way home and grabbed some cupcakes. She brought them home. And we, uh, our son was still sleeping. So that's a perfect time as a parent to eat uh, Kids, if you didn't know what your mom and dad do when you go to sleep, that's what it is. That's where all the candy comes out. Spoiler alert. And so, um, but we cut these cupcakes up into fours. And, and so, we, so we were going to save our son some, okay? And, and I was going to eat. I was, we were all kind of putting on our plate like me and Rena were. And we were doing this and we were eating these cupcakes. And I got to this one piece of cupcake and I put it up to my mouth. And as I, I smelt the cupcake and started chewing it, tears started streaming down my face. My wife was like, what's going on? I was like, this cupcake is just so good. So, just kidding, that's not why I'm crying. I was like, this cupcake smells just like, tastes just like, the texture is even just like this cake my grandma made me when I was growing up. And all that flooded in my mind was all these memories of my childhood and my grandmother making this specific cake. And this cupcake, I don't know how they did it. But it tastes just like it. And I dare did not go in that cupcake shop and order it for myself because I couldn't emotionally do it. So I always sent Rena to go and grab that cupcake for me. And, and I could only think about in this text of Scripture, if a cupcake could do that to me, what would a fire that smelt just like, felt just like the moment where Peter displayed the deepest failure of his life feel like? In this moment on a beach, enjoying breakfast with the risen one that you said, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. And it's in that exact spot that Jesus takes him to remind Peter of this. Peter needed reminding that he has now been restored because what Peter's already experienced is Jesus revealing himself to him, saying, just like I was sent, you're sent, 
see me, I'm, I'm back, I'm back from the dead. It's good now, I, I, I paid the price for your failures, your shame, all your regret. But for whatever reason, Peter needed to experience a more personal touch. That Peter needed to experience, yeah, that failure. Yeah, that mistake. And Jesus is even more intentional with Peter than that to take him to this moment. Because let's pick up in verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. This first question from Peter, or from Jesus to Peter, may seem like Jesus is playing games with Peter. And the reason why is because the rendering that Jesus words to Peter, do you love me more than these, is not pointing to the fishing gear. Like, do you love me more than your past? He's not even pointing to the disciples and saying, hey, do you love me more than your friends here? He's specifically asking Peter, do you love me more than they love me? Because the words that Peter would tell Jesus on the night before he would betray him, on the night before Jesus would give his life, is this. Mark 14, 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. That he says, I'm more faithful than all these guys. And so simply what Jesus does to Peter publicly is the same thing that Peter did in front of Jesus publicly is he shamed all the disciples and said, I'll never fall away even though all these guys around this table will fall away. I won't. And so Jesus asked Peter over breakfast after it had finished up, he said, okay, do you love me more than these love me? You kind of said you did. And I can't imagine the shame or the regret or the guilt that must be in Peter's stomach in this moment when he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And what Peter receives is kind of what he gives because what he receives in this moment is affirmation from Christ that he has been restored because he gives him this action, then feed my lambs. But what Peter answers better this time is he doesn't pit his love against the disciples' love. He just simply says, you know I love you. He doesn't call the other disciples in and say, let's measure our love, all right? I'm better than they are. He simply says, you know I love you. Because I, I believe in this moment, what Peter needed to experience was a full expression of grace. That even in spite of his failure, he was forgiven and he was restored. Because complete betrayal requires an even fuller expression of grace. Because Peter had completely betrayed Jesus. He did the exact thing that he said, I'll never do this. And yet, Jesus comes back to Peter, back to the disciples again, to restore them in ministry and restore them in right relationship with him. That Peter's love for his Lord was evident. He's like, you know I love you. And apparently Jesus accepted it because he, he put him into work. He said, then feed my lambs, then do this. He continues on in verse 16. Where he said, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus used another tool again to help Peter get to that place of that deepest shame to know that his grace touches even that spot. Because three times Peter would deny Jesus. So three times Peter needed to hear coming out of his own mouth, I love you. And three times Peter needed to hear coming out of the Lord's mouth, affirmation of his grace and his restoration. Because he calls him to action, not to wallow in his past, not to sit in his guilt, but he calls him past it. He calls him forward in it. That even though Peter had experienced a defeat in the night, that he had been defeated around that first campfire, he would be restored and commissioned around the second one. That he was faced with this defeat in the night that, yes, he didn't catch any fish, but he was called to something larger than that. He was called to be active in ministry of helping people experience the same kind of grace that he had experienced. He was faced of this decision in the morning. This opportunity to tell the Lord that, yes, I love you. And then the Lord would tell him, okay, then show me you've experienced my grace. And then there was this dedication in the day. There was this dedication to be called to faithfulness. But notice his calling to faithfulness was not in the terms of nouns, but in the terms of verbs. Meaning that Peter's faithfulness was not his calling to a specific office, title, but yet it was a calling to put on display the grace that he had received. His action was calling of tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Do this, Peter. Put it on display. I want you to notice that the calling of Peter to show the Lord that he loved him was by loving those that God called him to go and love. And by doing that, Peter was actually loving Jesus. By loving others, Peter was loving Christ. It's the same concept if you're a parent. If you want to love me well, you love my kids well. And so Jesus in this moment is telling Peter that very same thing. But he was repeating the original calling that he had already been called unto. Look at Luke chapter 5 verse 10. In the same scene that has happened in his calling, that when Peter was called the first time to Jesus to follow him, to be faithful to him, to be his disciple, he was called on the Sea of Galilee for not being that great at being a fisherman. <laughs> he couldn't catch anything. And Jesus says, hey, how about we switch this net to the other side? So they switch it to the other side and they catch a bunch of fish. And then Jesus says to Peter, after he says, follow me, Peter says, I'm not worthy of you. And Jesus is basically like, that's the point. But I'm the one who's worthy, so you follow me. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. And then they had brought their boats to the land, and they left everything, and they followed him. What we see as a follower of Jesus is that our love is called to be expressed to Christ in our love for others. In the way we treat other people is how we're called to love Christ. But this dedication is a dedication that 
same dedication that Christ put on display for us. That we don't have to come up with new ideas or new strategies of attracting people and pointing them to Jesus. But simply, it's this simple mission of tending. What does the word tending even mean? The word tending simply means to serve. The word tending is care. The way that you would care for an infant or a sheep or an animal of any kind. You, you tend to them. It's, it's not anything special or flashy. It's just messiness of life that we're called to love Jesus by the way we love other people. And then we feed them. We, we care for them. We, we tend and we feed. We want to show people that we love Jesus. I love listening to these baptism stories because they put on display how pivotal that other followers of Jesus were in their stories. How pivotal it was of how other people treated them. And how ashamed the flip side is is that many of us have stories about people in Jesus' name doing harmful things to us. Hear the call of Jesus to Peter. Do you love me? Then treat others the way you want to be treated. Do you love me? Then care for other people. Do you love me? Then show others how much you love me. And this is not a call for us to get God's grace. It's a response to God's grace in our life. Because Peter, sitting around a fire, needed to be reminded that he had been restored. Needed to be reminded that the shame of his past would not define him in his future. And so, in the reality that Peter had experienced the love and the grace of a Savior who died even for the traitor. He said, then tend to mine. Tend to them. Care for them. Feed them. So in the tone and heart of our Savior, can I ask you the question, do you love them? If so, who will you show this week? Who will you show this week your heart for his? And the reality for all of us is we can never give away what we do not possess ourselves. That if you're not a follower of Jesus or if you can not say with confidence that I have a relationship with Christ. That I know what it's like to sit with a Savior who died in my place. That I know what it's like to experience and, and feel the, the shame fleeting away because I've experienced an even, even greater measure of His grace. Then the invitation for Peter is your invitation. Would you come and follow him? Would you begin a relationship with him that is not a one and done scenario, but it's a starting line experience that we, with our whole lives, that we call is to follow him every single moment of every single day. Knowing that we've experienced his grace. And we love others from that place. Because God's grace is only opposed to our earning but God's grace is not opposed to our effort. That His grace is not opposed to our earning. It is opposed to our earning, sorry. It is opposed to our earning. But He is not opposed to our effort of showing it. Putting it on display for Him and others around us. 
Because he died the death that you and I deserved and rose back from the dead so that we could live in obedience to him. So if you don't want know what it means to follow Jesus, but something piqued your interest, or simply that you are a follower of Jesus, but like Peter, you can relate to the shame and guilt of your past, and you're struggling to overcome that, you're like, I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but sitting around that fire, I can't bring myself to, I couldn't bring myself to look Jesus in the eyes because I know what I've done, I know where I've been. We'd love to speak with you after the closing that I'm going to pray then we're going to close the service out but there's going to be people with orange tags around their neck or up to the front a prayer team or at the welcome desk you just come talk to one of us we'd love to chat with you to pray with you more personally and talk to you what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus I'm going to pray and then Brenda's going to come and you move as God wants you to Father God we love you Thank you so much for Jesus and the fact that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. But thank you that you need to take us to those places in our life individually that it's not just this generalized grace, but it's a personalized grace because you died for each one of us that your life, death, and resurrection was big enough to cover all of our sins if we would simply turn from them and put our trust in you. Jesus, I pray for every person or the sound of my voice, whether in the room or another location, God, that they would experience that measure of your grace. They would experience it today and they would walk with it all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen.